Father, we are thankful to you for the word that you deposit physically, but that you also deposit in our hearts. And we pray, God, that you will grow, you will grow strong in our hearts, you will bring to us that, that mission, vision for life, and the obedience, the, the ability to trust you, to obey your word, and to see real blessings come about in our lives, our family, but also to the nations. And I pray for my brother Kapo, Lord, that as he shares, he will bring your message for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. morning. Scripture reading I want to share with you is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 11 to 20. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us, so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Verse 17. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you, this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We come to the end of our series on Deuteronomy. And today we look broadly at four chapters from chapters 27 to 30, but specifically at chapters 27 to 28. We're going to look at quite a few passages, so keep your fingers there in the book of Deuteronomy. We will not have all the slides available, so please keep your fingers on the book. By way of background, chapters 27 to 31 contain the third and final speech or address that Moses give, gave to the Israelites before he died. The Israelites were gathered on the plains of Moab, east of River Jordan, about to enter the Promised Land. 
And because of their stubborn disobedience, the journey from Mount Horeb, where God gave the people His Ten Commandments, to the plains of Moab, which under normal circumstances could take about 11 days or so, actually took them 40 years of wandering. One generation had passed, and of those who left Egypt, only Moses, Joshua, and Caleb were left. And now finally, here in Deuteronomy, we read that they gathered to listen to Moses for the very last time. You know, the word Deuteronomy means second law. And the laws that were recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers are set out a second time here in Deuteronomy. And you can read that from chapters 4 to 26. And now here in chapter 27, it's time for the Israelites to renew the covenant with God. Deuteronomy 29, verses 10 to 15. All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and their wives and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. So these renewals of commitment, these covenant renewal ceremonies were solemn occasions that often took place at significant points in the history of the, in the, history of the nation. What, what happened at this time, at this particular covenant renewal ceremony? In fact, if you read through these two chapters, you'll find that there are two ceremonies, not one. The first one is explained in Deuteronomy 27, and the second one is in 28. Both have to do with the recitation of blessings and curses. In Deuteronomy 27, Moses tells us that the Israelites, or Moses tells the Israelites that when they entered Canaan, they were to assemble at Mount Ebal. You may not be able to see it very clearly, but it's marked in red on the map there, marked in red, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, just two dots below, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal is about 35 miles north of present-day Jerusalem, and it is a historically significant place because at the foot of Mount Ebal is another place called Shechem. That's the dot in the middle between Gerizim and Ebal. And it is at Shechem, it was at Shechem that the Lord first appeared to Abraham after God told him to leave his hometown. And Shechem was also the place where Abraham built his first of several altars. Um, and on Mount Ebal, the Israelites were to set up some large unhewn stones, plaster them over, and write the words of the law upon them. Then they were to build an altar on Mount Ebal and offer sacrifices to the Lord, just as Abraham did at Shechem. And after the altar was set up on Mount Ebal, six tribes... Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Natali were to assemble on the slopes of Mount Ebal to pronounce a series of curses. And another six tribes, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, were to stand on the slopes of Mount Gerizim, which archaeologists say is about one mile away 
from Mount Ebal. And there on Mount Gerizim, the other six tribes were to bless the people. In actual fact, however, it was, it was the Levites. It was the Levites, not the 12 tribes. And the Levites were, about, were numbered about 22,000. It was the Levites who were standing in the valley between the two mountains, in the, in the Shechem, who were to recite the blessings and the curses. And for some reason, no blessings were recorded in Deuteronomy 27. Only 12 curses. No blessings, only 12 curses. And after each curse, the people were to affirm it with a very, very loud and hearty Amen. Some historians calculate that there were probably over 2 million, 2 million Israelites who gathered to listen to Moses. This is 40 years after they left Egypt. By the time they left Egypt, they only numbered about a couple hundred thousand. But the geography of the land was such that the valley of Shechem, you can see that in the middle, perpendicular to the horizontal red line. The geography of the land was such that the valley of Shechem, though one mile apart, was a natural amphitheater that could magnify the sound of the blessings and the curses and the amends. So the whole thing must have been quite a sight to behold. So that was the first recitation, Deuteronomy 27. The second recitation of the blessings and curses is in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And there it was Moses, not the Levites, who recited them. And the two recitations are different for two, two reasons. Firstly, the chapter 27 curses were directed against individuals who break individual laws or to break various laws. And the blessings and the curses in chapter 28 relate not to individual crimes, but to the apostasy or the falling away or the falling away of the people as a whole. That was the first difference. The second difference is this. Deuteronomy 27 curses were intended for the particular ceremony of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, while the Deuteronomy 28 curses and blessings were part of Moses' preaching of the covenant. Let's take a step back for a moment. What does the Bible tell us about blessings and curses? Someone has said that when modern man talks of success, Old Testament man talked of blessing. Blessing in the biblical sense expresses and conveys all that which comes from God's favour and grace. Health, strength, wisdom, prosperity, success, Everything implied in the beautiful Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. And in contrast, a curse expresses and conveys that which comes from God's wrath and judgment, disease, failure, ruin, desolation, death. Just last week, I witnessed a Roman Catholic wedding service at one of the most stunningly beautiful churches in Singapore, St. Mary's of the Angels. Near the end of the service, the priest invited the congregation to participate in the Holy Communion. They call it the Eucharist. And the worship leader said that only baptized Catholics may eat of the bread and wine. But non-baptized Catholics and non-Catholics may still go to the priest, hands folded across their chest, 
heads bowed and receive a blessing from the priest who places his hand on the forehead of the parishioner. The act of priestly blessing came across, at least to me, as quite ritualistic. But there are many instances of such blessings and such procedures in the Old Testament. So what then do we learn of the blessings and curses in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28? Three things. One, they are comprehensive. I don't have it on the slide, but if you could just follow me with the reading in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 3 to 11. Deuteronomy 28. This is what Moses said. Verse 3. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from, seven, flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. Verse 9, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, in the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. So you see, God's blessings were everywhere. In the city, in the countryside, in the fields, in the coming in, in the going out. And God's blessings covered everything. The womb, the woman, crops, cattle, the land. And God's blessing extended to every event in individual and community life of the nation. When the Israelites go to war, when they were among the nations. In other words, the blessings encompass all aspects of individual life and community life. All aspects. And the curses had the same but opposite effect. Except that you notice that the curses, if you read through chapter 28, the curses were four times longer than the blessings. Four times longer than the blessings. Follow with me, chapter 28, verses 16 onwards. Chapter 28, Deuteronomy, verse 16 and 17. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. Verse 18. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand on until you are destroyed and come to ruin, can come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him, and so on and so forth. You get the picture, right? You get the picture. And it even talks about a time of great calamity when another nation will lay siege to Israel and subject the people, and subject the people to excruciating suffering and deprivation before eventually conquering it. In fact, the siege will be so bad that women 
will eat their own children. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 54. Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother or the wife he loves or his surviving children. And he will not give to one of them any of the flesh of his children that he is eating. It will be all he has left because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege on all your cities. The most gentle and sensitive woman among you, so sensitive and gentle that she will not venture to touch the ground with the sole of her feet or foot, will begrudge the husband she loves and her own son or daughter. The afterbirth from a womb and the children she bears, for in a dire need she intends to eat them secretly because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of your cities. Talk about the zombie apocalypse. Scary, isn't it? Scary. As Hebrews 10.31 reminds us, it is a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 40 years ago, a traveller taking a train across Palestine, dry and dusty Palestine, remarked, and the Bible calls this a land of milk and honey. A fellow traveller overheard him, tapped him on the shoulder, and showed him these words from Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 22 to 24. And this is what he says, your children will follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases with which the Lord hath afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of sulfur and salt. Nothing planted, nothing sprouted, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this? To this land why this fierce burning anger when it comes to the wrath of god as pochukang would say don't play play secondly the blessings and curses are conditional they're comprehensive they're conditional when you read them in chapter 27 and 28 you will realize that they seem to imply a set of relationships or equations. Obedience brings blessings. Disobedience brings curses. Blessings were conditional on obedience and curses conditional on disobedience. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. And this was so especially, especially for the curses. If you do not obey the Lord and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today. Verse 20, because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. Verse 45, because you did not obey the Lord your God. Verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly. Verse 58, if you do not follow carefully all the words of this law which are written in this book. 
You know, the idea that blessings and curses were conditional on the obedience or disobedience of the Israelites is consistent with many other parts of the Old Testament. And this should not surprise us at all because God is a righteous God and He requires us to obey Him completely and live just upright and holy lives. Let me give you one example, familiar one. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. You know the words of this psalm? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And what happens to such a man? Verse 3. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. Not so the wicked. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. When we look at into the New Testament, we see the same thinking being expressed, or at least implied, that blessing was a sign of God's favour and that it was the result of man's righteousness. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And so on and so forth. And conversely, a curse or some kind of terrible condition on a person implies that that person was a sinner. Remember the story of the man born blind? John 9 verse 2, John chapter 9 verse 2, don't have to follow with me, I'm going to read to you. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth, Jesus. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. And this same reason also explains why the Jews and even his disciples could not accept a crucified Savior because crucifixion was a sign of a curse. How could someone who is accursed by God be the Messiah sent by God? Big problem. Big problem for the Jews. Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 to 23. If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and the body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it the same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. Under God's curse. But, but, thank God, that line of teaching, that blessings comes from obedience and curses comes from disobedience, that line of teaching is not the full picture of the Bible. It is not always the case that obedience brings blessings and disobedience brings curses. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. What is always true is this. What is always true is this. And we come to the third point. The blessings and curses are always undergirded by God's compassion for His people. So they are comprehensive, they are conditional, but they are also undergirded or underpinned by God's compassion for His people. 
The book of Deuteronomy itself reminds us that wealth and blessings were gifts from God, not earned through any measure of obedience or righteousness. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 to 18. If you can, turn with me. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 to 18. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 to 18. You may say to yourself, My power and strength on my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. Even the land of Canaan was not a gift or a blessing for their obedience. It was a fulfillment of what God had earlier promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was not merely a gift that was given because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob obeyed. Yes, they did, but it was more because God gave to them a promise. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 to 6. I did warn you that there are a lot of verses, huh? Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse, verse 4 to 6. Please turn with me. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, driven the Canaanites before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of the land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish, to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it is wrong as CGCs to interpret the blessings and curses purely in terms of right and wrong behavior or obedience to God alone. And even if there are curses on disobedience, those curses are never, never the last word. Why? Because he bore deserved curse on our behalf even though he obeyed the Father completely. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 27 even, even before Moses gave instructions for the blessings and the curses Deuteronomy 27 verses 9 and 10 then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel be silent Israel and listen, you have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I give you today. So while it seems that God is laying down conditions to Israel to obey, obey, blessing, disobey, curse, the fact is God had already taken the initiative in making Israel his people first. And because they were already God's chosen, because Israel belonged to God, they must obey and observe His laws and His commandments. So obedience 
was not the precondition for the covenant's blessing, but the outcome, the outcome of a grateful heart. What does it mean to obey God? Can I request the, the PAs to just click this video? Just play it, please. It's, it's a video clip. Yep. Does it work? I think if you just click it, it should, it should play automatically. Uh, by the way, these are not my dogs. <laughs> not working. Okay, sorry. Technical failure. Never mind. Another animal example. It's been said that Arabian horses, Arabian horses go through rigorous training in the deserts of the Middle East. The trainers require absolute obedience from the horses and test them to see if they are completely trained. And the final test is almost beyond the endurance of any living thing. I think of Brother Paul who went through Atacama Desert, beyond endurance. The trainers force the horses to do without water for many days. Then he turns them loose and of course, they start running toward the water. But just as they get to the edge, ready to plunge in and drink, the trainer blows his whistle. The horses who have been completely trained and who have learned perfect obedience stop freeze they turn around and come pacing back to the trainer they stand there quivering wanting water but they wait in perfect obedience when the trainer is sure that he has the obedience he gives them a signal to go back to drink brothers and sisters Obedience is a costly affair. A story has been told of a soldier by the name of Pierre Balot who served in the French army. Pierre was a gunner, you know, an artillery guy. In the fort of Mont Valerin during the Prussian or the German siege of Paris in 1870 to 1871. One day he was standing by his gun when this general, his name is General Noel, the French commander, came up and leveled his glass at this place called the Several, Several Bridge, whatever they call it. Gunner, he said, do you see the Several Bridge over there? Yes, sir. And the little shanty in the thicket of shrubs to the left? I see it, sir, said Pierre, turning pale. It's a nest of Prussians. Try it with a shell, my man. In other words, shoot. Pierre turned even more pale. But he cited his piece deliberately, carefully, fired. Well hit, my man, well hit, exclaimed the general. But as he looked at Pierre, he was surprised to see a great tear running down the gunner's cheek. What's the matter, man? Pardon me, general, said Pierre. It was my house. Everything I had in the world. Obedience 
is costly. Remember the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who as Philippians 2.8 tells us, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. I want to invite the musicians to come forward. Tim, we're going to sing a closing song before we close in prayer. A hymn that we sung earlier on, Trust and Obey. Let's all rise.
this brothers and sisters is a covenant renewing moment for all of us Moses told the Israelites it is not up in heaven that you have to ask whom will ascend to heaven to get it proclaim it so that we may obey it nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it no the word is very near you it is in your mouth and your heart so you may obey it I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction for I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands decrees and laws and this is a covenant not of cattle or sheep that's being sacrificed on the altar but this is the covenant of our Lord Jesus Christ whose blood was shed whose body was broken and which we celebrated a minute ago when we took the communion of the bread and wine and this is the covenant that he has laid before us and wants us to renew with him in terms of our commitment to him moment by moment day by day take a few moments I urge you brothers and sisters and quietness of your heart pray to the Lord that he will give you strength to obey him more completely in our lives choose you this day whom you will serve As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord our God. Father, you have heard the cry of our hearts. And this morning as we join our hearts together in worship and in thanksgiving, and as we stand under the sound of your word this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that you are the Lord our God. We have heard your command for us to love you, to obey you, and we want to follow you wholly, totally. We want to obey you completely in our lives. Help us, Father. We renew our covenant before you this morning. We pledge afresh to be disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us, who obeyed you completely, and yet he bore a curse that was totally undeserved. Lord, we love you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated.